Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that this episode contains content that is of a sexual nature. If that's a thing that might bother you or you're not quite in the right setting for it, then maybe skip this one for now. Otherwise, let's dive in. I think sexuality really has a lot to do with the society and the mindset the society has towards sexuality. So I think for us, in order to grow, you need a certain mindset in a society, right? And this can sometimes take years. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? It is the last episode of the year before we go on a quick break for the holidays, And what better way to cap things off than with an episode about sex toys? Yes, you heard that right. And as we all know, sex sells. That's nothing new, but just how much? According to a 2021 report by Statista, the business of pleasure is thriving, with recent projections of the global sex toy market expected to grow to about 52.7 billion US dollars by 2026, up from 28.64 billion in 2019. That growth, according to Johanna Reef, can be attributed to a handful of different factors, including culture, technology, and media. As the head of sexual empowerment at WowTech Group, the parent company to a group of brands that develop and produce innovative premium sex toys, Johanna has witnessed the explosive growth of the industry over the course of her career, which has provided her with a unique perspective into its future. From her vantage point, the road ahead is one that embraces science and technology dispels outdated cultural taboos, and emphasizes well-being. Okay, hi, Joanna. We have Joanna Reef, Head of Sexual Empowerment at WOW Tech Group with us today. How are you? I'm so excited for our chat. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm good, thanks. Happy to be here or to at least talk today, yeah. Yeah, so many things to talk about. I'm so curious, what exactly does the Head of Sexual Empowerment do? Like, what's a day in the life look like for you? <laughs> that That is a good question. So yeah, I'm head of sexual empowerment. <laughs> I'm also director of public relations. So there is kind of a second job I have. <laughs> so I would say I don't really have any typical days. I think especially working with media and so on, there are a lot of kind of spontaneous requests or topics that come up where kind of colleagues need communication. So I would say mostly in the morning, I'm checking the emails and also scrolling through Instagram to kind of check the news. I think that's an important part, right? To know what's what's going on. Other than that, I would say calls, meetings. I talk a lot to experts. So as head of sexual empowerment, I'm the, I would say the interface between the internal um, stakeholders of our companies and the external ones. So I talk internally to engineers about products, ideas, but also with external testers we have or experts. I read a lot of studies about sexuality. I think there's still a lot to discover when it comes to that topic. These are all kind of parts of my job. And who are you empowering or what groups of people are you empowering internal or externally? Ideally, we would like to empower everyone, right? Which is kind of a (laughs) 
<laughs> I would say that's more of a vision because that's really, really complicated. But internally, I think the people working for our company, I would say they probably are more or less uh, sexual empowered. At least they are happy to work for a sex toy company, right? And talk about these topics. I think that's already a, a big step. And that's what I probably also try to do is kind of foster a dialogue with not only people with me, but also maybe partners that talk to each other. So I think, I think communication is kind of key, right? And I think there are a lot of people, this is how it should start. So yeah, ideally everyone, but probably just people maybe seeing, reading an interview I did, or I talked to in person. I hope at least these people I can empower to talk more and have a, at the end, a better sex life or the sex life they want to have. Yeah. And who doesn't want that? And you mentioned you review studies and you work with experts. What's, you know, before I kind of rewind and talk a little bit about the company, like what's the most interesting or recent study that you've taken a look at that really kind of caught your eye or that you thought was interesting? I mean, I think there are really a lot of facts that I was never aware of before working in the industry. Just the one that is not that long ago was because we developed a toy or a brand for people with a penis. So we kind of digged into that and thought about how this toy could look like. And then I learned, I didn't know that before, that, for example, in America, 80% of men are circumcised. Compared to Europe, I think there's only 15 to 20%. So that was kind of really interesting to me because I never really thought about that. And that kind of influences how you develop a toy, right? Uh, because it's just right. different feelings you have. So that was really interesting. And it was not so easy in Germany to find testers that are circumcised. So that was really something I never thought about. Or, I mean, I never before starting to work in that industry knew how the actual clitoris looks like, right? That it's not just a tip that right. people kind of have in mind, but it's an organ. And I think that's really a super interesting fact that we never learned in sex education, I would say. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So if we take a few steps back, uh, you're the head of sexual empowerment at Wow Tech Group. What is the Wow Tech Group? You know, you have offices around the world. You have a Canadian base as well. Can you just give me kind of like a, a 101 on everything that you're overseeing there? Mm -hmm. So WowTech is more or less the mother company to different three different premium brands that we have. And all these brands produce sex toys, always focusing on technology. So I think for us, it's really important to kind of have this R&D research and development aspect and really come up with innovative toys and innovative function. So that's where we put our focus on and we have different brands that cater to different needs, either for people with a clitoris or people with a penis. So we try to kind of produce sex toys that look good, that have a good design, that work well for the mainstream, I would say, that look just stylish and people like to look at and, and also work really well. Yeah, I mean, they're very high design, premium looking products. And they're not, from what I've seen, immediately recognizable as, as what they are. They're almost like kind of beautifully designed objects, too. <laughs> Yeah, you could leave them on the nightstand or somewhere in the bathroom. Probably people would think that's a new beauty tool or whatnot. And I mean, an orgasm can yeah. give a good glow, so it's kind of a beauty tool. <laughs> but, totally. Um, but that's the thing, right? I think people in general like things they like to look at, right? And I mean, of course, there's also a market for, for example, dildos that are shaped like real penises and have a nude color. But I think there are just also a lot of people who don't want that and just want things that look nice, the same with smartphones and so on, right? I think design is a is an important aspect to many people. 
Totally. A beauty tool. It could be like a coffee table object, a paperweight. A speaker. <laughs> oh, a toy for uh, iron that looks really like a speaker. I guess people may talk to it if they don't know what it looks like. Uh, <laughs> like an Amazon Echo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So from your standpoint in the industry that you're in, you know, what makes for a great brand experience because the way that people are engaging with the products at wow and and the brand are you know it's a little bit different but maybe a little bit the same in terms of how they would engage with other consumer brands so what do you think makes a great brand experience i think what is important uh, for a brand to kind of have a mission and a voice that is the same on every touch point people see you so i don't know on the packaging or on instagram and so on but what i like especially about our industry. I think many brands really are kind of personalities and also have an opinion. I think nowadays there's still a lot of brands out there that think you should be rather neutral. You are not allowed to talk to certain topics. And I really appreciate it that we as brands have voices and we have ideas of what we think is, is good and what not. Or I mean, I just one example uh, for Womanizer, we kind of said something about the uh, abortion ban in Texas uh, that's now happened a while ago. And I think many brands would shy away from that and say, this is not something we can say something to. And we think this is part of a of every woman's kind of right. So I think we're not afraid to have an opinion and also state that clearly. And I think nowadays with all these brands everywhere and globalization, I think as a brand, you need to have a personality and also show that to people and show it in every kind of different aspects, right? No matter if they go on Instagram, as I said, or go into a store, they kind of really feel that this brand is a person somehow and has a key opinion and views. And I think that's what many brands, I believe, still are afraid to do or yeah, try to please as many people as possible, right? I mean, we yeah. also try to please many people, but um, <laughs> I think you can still have an opinion. Um, and if someone doesn't like it, yeah, maybe they won't be your customer anyway, especially with our category, right? Sex toys, I think there are a lot of people who never consider it. So I don't care if they agree with us being against the abortion ban because they will never buy anyway. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just really important now for brands to stand by their values and have a voice and an opinion and a point of view because you can't please everyone and nor should you want to, right? Mm, so Yeah, exactly. So sexual empowerment, I mean, how does that definition differ between men, women, non-binary people, the trans, you know, all the different mm. communities that you're overseeing? Like, how does that definition change or is it the same across all the different communities? I think that the term itself or what it means is something really personal, right? Because for one person, you could feel sexual empowered by maybe even not having sex at all, right? I mean, there are people who just don't want to have sex or, I don't know, masturbate twice a day, right? I think that's really something really personal. What does this mean for you? And I think that's kind of the state you should come to, right? If you feel good and think you have a good, fulfilled sexuality, I think that that's what is important if no one else gets hurt. So I think that's really kind of a really personal thing. But I think if we really would like to look into different groups, I would say probably heterosexual men are the most empowered just because for many years, it was only about their wishes and fantasies, right? I mean, lots of women's media, if you want, so kind of 10 tips how you make him happy and bad or five tips how to give a better blowjob and stuff like that. And I mean, there's nothing wrong about it in general, having these kind of topics. But for many years, it was only about how to please a heterosexual man. So I would say that 
heterosexual men probably are the, the most empowered ones or the, the the group it was talked about it the most because it was kind of in the focus I would say now looking at women, I mean, there is kind of a, a movement and especially also, and I think media is always a big part of it, right? Because you just have a, a certain reach if you have an online magazine and you can really change people's perception or mindset um, of, of certain people. So I think media really started to talk about women's sexuality, right? I mean, there's so much more even talking about periods and stuff like that, right? It's not always about pleasure, right? But it's just the, the whole topic of, of women and um, women's sexuality. And then I would say people kind of identifying as non-binary or queer people. I mean, I think there's still a long way to go just as a society, because I mean, I still think it's ridiculous that you need to come out, right? That you need to explain someone your sexuality, because I never needed to do that because I'm heterosexual. And this is more seen as the norm or most people are but I think it's still as long as this is kind of a thing I think that shows how far we are away from giving everyone the possibility to live how they want to live I think overall queer people are more open-minded and I think they also talk to partners and so on as at least also from we know that we have a lot of queer customers right buying also toys and being more open-minded but when you see it from a society perspective i mean i think all of us are aware that they struggle way more than everybody like identifying as a man or a woman heterosexual ones so because they're just their sexuality is already a topic and something they need to announce officially yeah which doesn't make any sense and it's really kind of sad that we are still there yeah for sure and i definitely want to talk about you know how sex and sexuality are kind of like a barometer of the larger picture on what's going on in society and mm -hmm. culture. But I'm curious, I mean, I imagine people must have so many questions that they want to ask you when they find out what you do and everything like that and the, and the industry that you're working. What is the most misunderstood part of your job? So, I mean, when it really comes to my uh, profession, so PR, I think there's just the idea that people really think that you're doing advertising and you just pay media to write about the stories you have, but it's more really about convincing and telling a good story. But this is really more looking at my day-to-day -day job. I would say in my private life, if I go out, people often ask me if I'm still interested in sex after work. I think you get so used to it that I can talk about sex like I talk about socks, right? It's more, it's, it's, I, I mean, it's much more fun, right? It's an easy topic to talk about, but I understand again, for most people, it's so hard to talk about it that they really think it's kind of weird that you do that without having any feelings of, I don't know, excitement or whatever. I don't know, but people really think that because you deal so much with sex and at the end, I mean, we produce electronic goods that we sell, right? I mean, I'm not sure how it is when you are in the porn industry and maybe see porn all day, maybe that changes, but at least from a sex toy angle, I can say that that's not an issue I have. <laughs> so yeah. I can tell yeah. people that's, uh, don't worry, that's fine. But I think I often get also from men the, the question that if we want to replace them, also again, heterosexual <laughs> men, they kind of have a big fear that sex toys or the womanizer will take over the sexuality and make every heterosexual woman happy and uh, they're not interested in them anymore. But also that's not the case. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, it's not one or the other. Exactly. That's what I'm always saying, right? It's kind of two different ways of sexuality. I think it's not either or, right? It can be both. Um, so this is, for me, completely two different things. Having a sexuality on your own with yourself or with a partner is just two different things. Yes, yeah, for sure. Go together, I would say. But For sure. And what do you think is a misconception about your industry that you wish everyone could be a little bit more educated about or just know as a baseline? I think still that the industry overall has a bad reputation. Also in the former company I worked with, which was also kind of a retailer for sex toys, I know that people started there telling me that their parents didn't talk for them for a week because they thought they ruined their lives, their CV, right? You can never get a job somewhere in a really known corporate because you did this work in this kind of shady industry somehow. So I think that's just the industry overall still has kind of a problem with its reputation, uh, which is kind of sad. And I think also people maybe are afraid that, yeah, you go to work and you have these creepy conversations, but I think it's exactly the other way around. I think people are really respectful and really think about what they and how they communicate to others. Um, it's really kind of, I would say people working in the industry are really liberal people often and kind of open-minded, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't work in that industry. Well, and it just also brings me back to like when you were visiting Toronto and we were sitting beside each other over dinner and you were telling me that there's been a great career trajectory for you and there's a lot of great career opportunities because you were employee number four. When we bought now, Humanizer, yeah, I was employee number four. And now we are 730 globally. So, yeah. <laughs> right. And how many years has that been since you were employee number four? Um, four and a half. Yeah, so that's an extreme amount of growth. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a crazy <laughs> journey. I mean, we, we started back then with the brand Womanizer, which we bought from the founder and inventor. And then we kind of merged with the brand WeWeb, the Canadian one. This is why we have an office uh, in Ottawa. So it was mm -hmm. a lot with buying and merging with companies. But yeah, I mean, that's another way to build a company, right? You don't need always to build something from scratch, but rather buy something or merch but yeah, yeah overall from four to 730 in four and a half years that I, it was a crazy ride let's put it like that i can only imagine and so you must have experienced and seen a lot of things in your role you're traveling when you can and when it's safe to do so what still surprises you the most about your work and i imagine also just when you are traveling to these different markets there's very different attitudes towards sexuality, sexual empowerment. So I imagine you've seen a lot. So what still surprises you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is the fact that I still on a daily basis more or less learn something new. And I like that a lot. I also kind of like challenges. I think it shouldn't go too well. <laughs> I mean, it should go well, but <laughs> I kind of like new things and new challenges. And as you said, I think the fact that I can travel for work so much, that I see so much, that I talk to so many people. So it was kind of the first time we did an event uh, with media in Toronto, which I always like because it's different everywhere, right? If you talk to media, if you meet people really living in these countries, how will they react? How open-minded will they be? How will they talk about sex? And it's really different in almost every country, right? How sexuality is perceived. And that is super interesting. But I think with many other things, as I said, learning about the human body, about sexuality kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would say I appreciate that the most that I have this steep learning curve still, which normally I would say stops at a certain point but so far it's still there and also having these colleagues all over the world right i don't know we have 10 offices now i think in total we have people from about 
30, 35 nations kind of living in different cultures, even working with people from a different culture on a daily basis, you really need to also adjust yourself, right? Or you just learn more from other people. So it's really interesting. doing some research to prepare for our chat today and one thing that I found was kind of interesting was just the industry growth and so according to Statista the global sex toy market I read is expected to grow by about nine percent between 2019 and 2026 from 28.64 billion US dollars to 52.7 billion. I'm sure there's also some other numbers that are maybe in tandem with that or around that. But I think the overall kind of takeaway is it, there's a lot of growth happening. So what is fueling this growth in your perspective? Um, what are the factors at play here? I think sexuality really has a lot to do with the society and the mindset the society has towards sexuality. So I think for us, in order to grow, you need a certain mindset in a society, right? And this can sometimes take years till kind of something changes. But I think we are, and especially last year, there was a lot of change in many societies with being more open for these kind of products. But also, especially now in the last two years, and this sounds sometimes weird to say it because I know that many people suffered, but COVID, for example, and the pandemic and people being stuck at home, having time for sexuality, maybe even being bored, really increased the online sales, right? Offline sales, of course, they also kind of struggled when there were lockdowns, but especially online, the sales that was skyrocketing just because, yeah, people suddenly had the time. And I think really many people that never even thought about buying a sex toy bought their first one, right? Really having new kind of target groups considering buying a sex toy and investing in their sex life. So that was really something you could see, at least from a sales perspective in the last two years, that gave a, a huge push and growth. And beyond COVID, how has the conversation around sexuality and, and sexual empowerment evolved over the last five to 10 years? What have mm -hmm. you seen from kind of like a bigger picture bird's eye view? Yeah, I think many people always mention Sex in the City, Fifty Shades of Grey, which I kind of agree. I mean, that started now, Sex in the City was, what, 20 years ago? I think Fifty Shades of Grey was 10 years. And you can discuss now if that was always correct and how sex was portrayed, right? Looking back, I think you always see things that you wouldn't do um, or you probably hopefully wouldn't say like that today. Or anyway, I think they pushed the topic more into the mainstream, right? And into the center of society. It's, of course, always kind of something we appreciate. I think what also helps is the whole being online, being in the internet, because I think just people have a lot of questions, as you said, and they were always afraid to ask. And I think they just realize often, I think we all, I guess, had something where we thought, oh, is that maybe weird? Is it just me having that or thinking that I can look in, in Reddit or social media or whatnot or read in different blogs, right? But figuring out often that sometimes what you think was kind of weird or nobody thought about it, fi figuring out that there are many people struggling with sexualities or having questions about sexuality, I think helps every single person to understand that this is all normal, right? There's a lot of things that maybe weren't told us, which are completely fine. And many people experience that. And I think that helps people to 
ease up and be more relaxed and maybe even start talking about it and communicating because they realize, okay, now it's not, I'm, I'm not weird. I have feelings, fantasies that many other people have, and it's completely fine having that. And I don't need to be ashamed. Right. So I think the whole online being online a lot, I mean, this can also have negative effects, um, but um, it also helps the, I think the topic of sexuality being more normalized and having a place to find answers. Right. And there's much more of an open dialogue and conversation around it. And we're also seeing it integrated into pop culture, as you said, Sex in the City, Fifty Shades of Grey. There's, you know, shows on Netflix that all talk about all these different things. So it's becoming, I guess, normalized mm-hmm. to talk about it, which makes it less intimidating and, and less scary for people to talk about and encourages more open dialogue, I guess. Yeah. A lot of Netflix series series always have this scene where you see kind of a nightstand with sex toys or something like that, right? That is quite common. And I mean, if you look at the numbers, I think every second or third woman has a, a vibrator in certain countries. So it is more common. So yeah, I think I totally agree. Pop culture and how media also talks about it, right? And, and deals with these topics has a big influence on mindset and society overall. What are the major differences that you notice between the different markets? North America compared to Europe, compared to Asia, there are some big, vast differences between Mm. our approach and how comfortable we are with sexuality. What are kind of the top line ones there? So on a global level, and people always laugh when I say that here in Germany, but I would say that Germany or let's say German speaking countries, which kind of includes then Austria and Switzerland, are the most open-minded when it comes to sex. I have kind of a funny story, at least I think it's funny. So we've been to Ottawa with a few colleagues and we went to the spa wellness center on the weekend, which I think is already weird for many people that you go with your colleagues into a spa. But we (laughs) learned before that people are not naked in the sauna. In Germany, you need to be naked in a sauna. You can't go in there with your bathing suit on. So (laughs) we heard that. We were like, yeah, easy going. I mean, we're all wearing bathing suits, but still people we talked to in the spa were kind of irritated by us being there as colleagues. But just, you know, that just explains like Germans kind of like to be naked. And I think just media write about it a lot. So I would say Germans always laugh if I say that because I'm not sure if they really feel and I'm also not sure if Germans are really known for being the most fun and open-minded people overall. But um, I would say when it comes to sexuality, that's really pretty openly handled and seen really relaxed in German-speaking countries. I think also Europe, I would say, is in many countries really open-minded. I would say the ones that probably where it still needs a lot of work is many Asian countries. Mm -hmm. I think that's still kind of, I mean, there are also a lot of different things like Japan and Korea are completely different, right? I think Asia overall as a sexuality. And then also US is really kind of interesting to me. I would say, I mean, I'm normally in, in New York, right? And if you meet the people there, it's kind of open-minded, but I also believe that it's kind of a bubble. I think in the uh, looking into US overall, um, I mean, I just talked to an expert there and he just said, listen, I mean, sexuality in the U.S. is seen as guilt and sin. And I think in many ways he's correct. I mean, I, I know that they're still taught children to not have sex at all, right? Where are even studies that prove that this doesn't do anything. People 
and kids will do it anyway. I mean, we were taught not to drink and not to smoke. That didn't keep us from doing it, right? I think we should rather start uh, having open conversations about that. U.S. is really interesting just because the country is also so big, right? I think that's just yeah. like, I mean, Europe, we just have many different small countries and U.S. is just so big. So it really depends where you are in U.S., I would say. Yeah, well, I think that's the same with Canada too. Yeah. We are a huge country geographically and the diversity of communities and cultures even between Vancouver to Calgary to Saskatoon and Montreal and, and Toronto, they're so different and vast and our attitudes towards different things are very, very different. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know, some provinces are a little bit more conservative than others and that's reflected outwards in, in other areas too. Yeah, I think in Canada, I mean, I was in Ottawa, which is more the government city, I would say, but of course, all my colleagues lived there. So I had a lot of good conversations about sexuality. But right. I think, again, that's my bubble. But also, I need to say Toronto, I was really happy uh, and surprised about the dinner where we, where we met and that everybody was so open-minded. So I have a really good, at least what I experienced was really kind of open-minded and, and, and nice conversations. That's good to hear. How are attitudes changing in tandem with some of these big cultural events that we've seen in the last two, three, four years? Have you noticed anything in times of cultural volatility or stability, i.e. obviously the pandemic, major political elections? Do you notice mm -hmm. anything trends happening that spike up in those kind of moments of high tension and stress or, or moments of stability too? Uh, that's a good question. Ah, we had one uh, interesting political thing was Brexit in UK. Oh, yeah. It really sold a lot just because the retailers, they were afraid that they don't get any products in, right? They didn't know what's going to happen. So, I mean, I think that was not only our products, right? But there were huge kind of trucks stuck everywhere with Brexit. So I think if it's really about importing stuff, these kind of political things, you also see it, but it's not only with our products, but there as well. But other than that, I mean, it's not that, yeah, there's a big election upcoming and then the sales go up. I'm not sure if, if sex is always the number one solution to everything. <laughs> so I think, yeah, the pandemic was more because people at home or, yeah, Brexit, where they kind of were afraid that they didn't know how it will look like in the future to import things. But other than that, I think we have more just seasonal topics, right? I mean, Valentine's Day is a huge topic for us. People buying sex toys instead of flowers or both, um, especially in North America. I mean, Valentine's Day is not really big in Europe or Asia. I mean, it is there. It's an occasion. But I don't know anyone really who gets flowers on Valentine's Day from my friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also Christmas, right? I think that's also something people really nowadays like to give uh, sex toys. So I think that's more kind of the seasonal occasions that we have where people gift sex toys, which was for sure different 10 years ago, right? I mean, I'm not sure how many people thought about gifting a sex toy 10 years ago, but now I know many that do that or birthdays or something like that. Yeah, it's a, a unconventional stocking stuffer, I guess. <laughs> now, we were talking about values before and perspective that companies have and the role that they have in conversations and, and having a dialogue with the customers and how that aligns with their values. What role has wow tech had in advancing social change and awareness what are the kind of the big pillars and the values that you stand by i mean i would say we really kind of mostly focus on the topic 
sexuality and how this is seen, right? We are not in a position to comment everything that's happening on the world. I mean, for example, when Black Lives Matters happened, of course, we made statements, right? Kind of things like that. But overall, I think for us in really changing something in society, it's really focusing on sexuality and the perception of sexuality. And I mean, there are as well, again, a lot of studies proving that having a fulfilled and good sexuality is positive for you as a person overall and, and for your health, right? So it, I think that also impacts a person's life overall. But I think, yeah, for us, it's really more pushing that topic around. And for example, as I said, could be also about period is also part of the female sexuality. So I think that's kind of where we more focusing on because we think there we have expertise and are the right one to talk about certain things. Yeah, definitely. You know, the word tech is in the company name. So how does technology play a major role in guiding the business? What are some of the major innovations happening? What does the R&D process look like? How does that get integrated into the overall brand? So, I mean, back then when we purchased the Womanizer brand, we bought kind of the Pleasure Air technology, which is kind of a patented technology in all the Womanizer products. So this is a certain technology we bought and we developed further. And also, as I said, sometimes it's not even a whole new product, but it's more functions. So, for example, we have a function that is called Smart Silence. So the toy can recognize your skin. So it's completely silent till it touches your skin. So it's in kind of a standby mode, which I think is really good. If, for example, you have kids in the next room that maybe run into the, <laughs> into the room or flatmate, or you just use it and you just want to enjoy your orgasm, you can just put it aside without the toy making some noise, right? I think sometimes it's more of these smaller things, but I think that have a great impact on the user experience. So I think we have that for uh, Womanizer. We have our couples uh, brand, which is called WeWipe. The Canadian one has kind of this couples toy. So you can wear that while having sex, right? That's kind of also a, a certain shape and also an app. So we launched kind of a app to control sex. So I think eight years ago and eight years ago, everybody thought we are kind of a little bit nuts doing that because who wants that? I think <laughs> now with COVID, um, download numbers numbers increased a lot and people kind of see the upside of having an app for sex toys. So and also with our brand ArcWave, kind of for people with a penis, also we took the Womanizer technology, we developed it further and tried to make that work for people with a penis. So I think we always have certain technologies in our product. 30% of our people in the company really work on these product innovations. So they are product managers, there are engineers. I think we have now, let's say, 20, 30 engineers globally. Often it really starts just with an idea, maybe an idea you had over beer, right? It always starts with the first prototype that looks sometimes, I would say, a little bit adventurous uh, because you have these cables here and there. And we have a, we have a yeah, <laughs> it's not always pleasant in the beginning. And it's kind of like, hmm, that looks interesting. And yeah. so we, because we have a internal tester group, so people, employees that offer it to test. So this is really something, the first prototypes are always tested by um, by employees. Yeah, and sometimes it's more of an idea and just seeing, giving it to 10 people and see if that even works, right? In many ways, our R&D process is similar to, I would say other consumer electronic goods, but due to the fact that people have really hard time expressing what they even want sexuality-wise or how this should feel, it's often kind of trial and error. So you just do something, create a product, and then give it first to testers and see, does that even work? Does that feel good, right? And this is just like one of many steps. 
And as I said, we have really labs um, in our different offices, especially in Berlin and Ottawa, um, where they create first prototypes. And then you have another round of testing and it takes several stages till it really comes to the production and being mass manufactured, right? It's in many ways similar to other products, but then again, because of sexuality, people can't really express what they want or how it should feel like. It's a lot of testing going on, I would say. I would love to just be a fly on the wall in one of those brainstorming sessions where you're just throwing ideas at the wall and seeing what you want to focus on and then just carving the path forward for that. I, I think that would just be so fascinating. So what do you think are the most interesting statistics and learnings that you've discovered as a result of the research conducted? I mean, you you did talk a little bit earlier in the interview about the difference in North American and European men you know is there anything else that just really stuck out to you we just did a clinical study with 500 menstruating people globally and kind of could prove that uh, masturbation could help when you have period pain and not only cramps but also headache and so on which kind of was always a theory but there were never any numbers that was never tested so i think that's also maybe an interesting fact um, overall and we are kind of trying to find a solution to that because research overall when it comes to the female body is really underfunded, right? There is not a lot of mm. um, research out there because just historically science was done from men on men more or less and all the research yeah. and studies and so on. So sometimes it's even hard for us. So we, for example, as I said, once uh, did this clinical study just to figure out because we couldn't find anything for that and really try to kind of also as much as possible invest and support researchers and scientists because there is often not so much uh, research about sexuality, even though there would be uh, scientists out there who would happy to do that. We talked to a few, they always said the funding is the problem. And obviously the big pharma industries and so on, they don't see a benefit in doing that or it was never done. So I think overall, that's already kind of what was always shocking to me. I mean, there's also this so-called gender health gap, right? That kind of is part of that all. But of course, as us, as we are focusing on sexuality, I think it's really even hard sometimes to find kind of certain research or it's sometimes there are things indicated, but it's often, for example, with this pain. Um, so uh, we did it for period pain, but there wasn't studies saying uh, back then that it should help men with headache. I think that's how, how it started, right? We saw that and then we thought, okay, this could be interesting. And does it not also, also work for people who menstruate? So it was always surprising to me that there is not so much research as I said, the actual clitoris, how it looks like, I think it was 1988 when that was discovered. Till then, nobody really? knew that. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of unbelievable, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, how, how, yeah. how did this happen? How did people miss that, right? Kind of doctors and so on. Rather shocking sometimes. Yeah, that is really surprising. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know what? It's sad because it's surprising, but it's also not that surprising. Um, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but somehow it isn't, right? Yeah. But yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's interesting. Just what I'm seeing from the media standpoint, at least, is when it comes to research, I'm seeing that there is a little bit more of inclusivity in mind when it comes to health and when it comes to applying, you know, a wider lens to the different communities. And yeah, historically, it's all been focused on men. And mm -hmm. obviously, those kind of findings cannot be applied to all, everyone. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, it is nice to see that happening. And obviously, there's still a lot more that needs to be done. But um, it is something that I am seeing on our end, at least on the media side of what's being reported to us yeah. from brands and stuff. 
how you said it, right? It's always also clustered into gender. So it's man or female. And then again, even talking about, yeah, uh, people, trans persons and so on. I mean, there is not a lot of research done at all, right? I mean, that's the next big yeah. challenge, yeah. I would say, or something we should solve and work more on. And so obviously sex is a very sensitive topic for people. Um, maybe some people are very open about talking about it. Other people are not. What has working in this industry taught you about building community and communication and trust? How does the medium impact the message or vice versa? As you said, it is sensitive, right? And there are people that just are not as open-minded yet to talk about it or maybe don't have the knowledge. So I think you always need to adapt your message to the community you're talking to, right? And really kind of think about how you bring a message across because it doesn't make sense if someone's kind of shy or afraid to talk about it. It doesn't make sense for me, for example, being super open-minded and say sex five times in two sentences, right? I think it's not <laughs> how you convince people. That's they rather shy away from that. So I think that's something we kind of know. We adapt our communication to the to the audience we are talking to. And maybe, as you said, also the channel, right? Maybe on a homepage, you'd be more mainstream and don't say sex too often. But for example, on Instagram, if you know, I don't know, you have a younger target group, you kind of know maybe you can be way bolder. The good thing is nowadays with social media, right? You get feedback right away. If if someone thinks that you're not communicating in a good way or your, your audience, they will flag that immediately, which I think is really amazing as a brand to have this immediate response and have kind of a two-way communication instead of just us putting something out there and hoping that people like it, you will you will hear it right away, right? And also communities, I mean, for example, on our Instagram account, we always try to use gender neutral language and so on to be as inclusive as possible, which is honestly sometimes challenging in marketing. If you do kind of marketing or do a product that you sell in 70 countries, right? I think they're just countries that are not as far as, for example, US and US media is, I think that's, or Northern America, I think they're really open-minded and understands kind of, yeah, this gender neutral language, for example, in Germany or also French, everything is gendered, right? It's either mm. female or male. I think English overall is kind of a, a really nice language in terms of being gender neutral. But yeah, we try where it is where we can do it easily. But I think sometimes, yeah, it's often also really hard to be inclusive when you operate on a global level, right? But I think we, for example, Instagram, we only have one English account, which helps us a lot to be really inclusive and in using gender neutral language and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you see the industry growing? What does the future look like? And what excites you the most about the road ahead? from the numbers, you really see the industry growing. I mean, it's still small compared to, I don't know, fashion and beauty. Let's be honest about that. But I think the position we are in as WowTech, uh, we were kind of one of the first players that grow so bigly and had a lot of experience. So I think we are in a really good position uh, if that market grows and we have way more mainstream retailers, right? I mean, in North America, I think Goop is quite known, right? They list our products. They even did now an own product. Um, but we are also in many drugstores um, already in, in Germany, at least. So I think there's kind of a big movement that more mainstream retailers list our products, which of course will drive 
the openness and the revenue and the industry overall, right? And the growth and the, and the revenue in the industry. And also we see more investors coming into the industry, right? I think there was really a huge barrier for many people to even start a startup in that kind of field, right? Because um, even if you personally are open-minded, if you, for example, can't find investors and when you produce a good, sometimes, I mean, it's probably hard for many people that didn't save so much to kind of start their business on their own. But it was really hard, I think, in the last decades to find investors that were willing to invest into the industry. But we also see that changing in the last um, years. And I think this will definitely also help the industry overall, right? Because maybe even more companies will be funded or founded because they kind of see the opportunity to yeah get uh, money. I think it's the same with um, femtech and so on, right? These are all industries that are growing quickly because there is a need and I think uh, more and more people understand that. Yeah, definitely. And there are more diverse investors on the other side of the table that have a little bit of more of an open mind and are not yeah, I mean, seeing things through like a, a male gaze too. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing, right? I mean, honestly, most investors are male and maybe also even a little bit older, let's say like that. I mean, of course, they don't understand why yeah, as a woman, you are maybe in period pain and could use a period panty or what whatnot, right? These are all things to where they thought, oh, this is kind of niche. But I mean, just looking at people who menstruate is kind of half of the population. I'm not sure if that's really a niche. Yeah. But yeah, explaining that to people <laughs> who are not really open minded and never even thought about it and living kind of in a, a different world, I would say that most people, that's hard, right? But yeah, as you said, they're more investors coming it's more more diversity right to also kind of see other um point of views and, and really listen to that and see the business potential because i mean that's what it's about for many investors which is fine right if that helps us to get more amazing startups talking about sexuality and all these kind of taboo topics that will help a lot definitely Last question. So our, our podcast focuses on purpose and values and mission. So what is your mission and how are you getting people on board with it? You mean my personal one or? <laughs> Let's do both. So I think um, as a company, we really kind of, I, as I said, want to be uh, the company that brings sexual happiness to people. And that's really something really personal. So, right, that is whatever it, it means for you personally. We're not telling you what that means, what you need to do or what you don't need to do. Um, so I think that's something we believe a great fulfilled sex life will impact your life overall. And we think there's nothing wrong about kind of following your wishes and dreams and make them happen, right? I think that's nothing nobody should be ashamed of. So um, I think that's from a company's perspective what we would like to do. We think we sell good working products that make people happy and that makes us happy. And I think that's also my personal mission is I think, yeah, I would like to tell people be happy and enjoy and embrace life. Yeah, I think don't don't think about too much what other people think about you, right? I think that's also in sexuality kind of an important topic. I just think we have this one life, at least I believe now for, for, for now it's one. Um, <laughs> who knows what's happening after that? But um, I think people should uh, make the best out of their time here. Definitely. Well, that is a great way to end our conversation. Thank you so much for your time being so generous with it. Um, I know you're in, was it Austria today? I'm in Slovenia. <laughs> right. So I appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us. It's been very enlightening, very exciting, and, and just lots of fun. And it's nice to catch up again. So hopefully uh, we'll see you when you're back in Canada. And yeah, thank you so much for the chat. 
Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. It was a was a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. <laughs> The dialogue around sex and sexuality is one that continues to evolve in tandem with the cultural norms and taboos of society. In many ways, they're a reflection of what we value and where we stand on matters of politics, religion, business, health, and more. Being sexually empowered today means, well, whatever you want it to mean for you. It means being happy and fulfilled and having the agency to explore without shame. For Johanna and her team, their job is to make sure that that path of exploration is a little more inclusive, equitable, and pleasurable for all. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission? <laughs>